Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, you know how we make fun of wine snobs? We should all, everyone, should make fun of wine snobs if we are pure of heart and pure of spirit, Rick. Yes, they should. Well, we got a question about (laughs) where does that snobbery come from? It comes from the demons from the pits of hell. You're kind of fun today. <laughs> all right. So, okay, I'm ready. All right. So we're going to explain a little bit about where those demons first were or who those demons first were. And also today, listeners ask about the wine displays in the middle of supermarkets, yep. about quote-unquote tricks to make cheaper wine taste expensive, and about the wine subject that is tangled in urban legend sulfites. Ah, uh, yes. Plus, as usual, we will be making fun of wine snobs. The demons from the pits of hell. (laughs) Yes, they are. By the way, a couple of reminders. Yet uh, still, the world spins on with Capital Public Radio allowing us on their podcast. In their recommended list of podcasts right next to people who are famous and good. Yeah. Let me remind you, this is a Sacramento NPR station. They should know better. And we are also on Napa Broadcasting. Out of Napa Valley College, an institute of higher learning, you'd think they would know better. More wouldn't people you? should know better. Well, there you go. Uh, all right, so here's the uh, here's our start. Here, are, I was teaching a wine class a couple weeks ago in Modesto and was check, chatting with Aaron, a good guy who's not an absolute wine beginner, but he was just getting into the wine business. And he was asking me why so many people who talk about wine and write about it make it so intimidating. Demons from the pits of hell would be the first answer. There you go. Uh, but he said, do they know what they're doing? Uh, do they know that they're doing it? Do yep. they know that they're t- – yep. they, are they trying to be snobs? Um, maybe not. Uh, sometimes they're like the little boy who knows about dinosaurs. You know, and you sit down and you pull up a dinosaur and you say, oh, this is a cute little brontosaurus. And he says, it's not a brontosaurus. Yeah. It's a diplodocus. And then he goes on and tells – and really, he's just really excited about what he knows. But unfortunately, that's not a very good way to communicate with people. Communication generally means looking at people in the eye and kind of making some sort of human contact and all the rest. So part of it is just, ooh, 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 this is something I know. Let me talk more about it. Yeah, I, I think that, that absolutely goes to describe the, the sort of the general wine, the wine enthusiast that's like that. Right? There's always a couple of people that want to, want you to know how much they know. But, 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 but you're then there's that correct, other element right? of when they not only communicate that they really know this and are really excited about it, but they want you to know that you are a lesser, lesser person because you don't know this. Well, That's a whole different level. Yeah, and in, in my case, those people, it's not necessary because I'm just a lesser person anyway. But, <laughs> those uh, people yeah. are demons from the pits of hell. They are. So uh, where does this come from? Well, you know, sadly, it's from our, our, the, our, our founding roots as a nation. Well, it's – I mean it's my fair lady all over again. you got to yep. learn to talk with the right accent right. and you got to have all the manners or you don't – you can't say that you're part of the upper class. And yeah. in Britain, the upper class was nobility and they drank wine and the lower class were working people and they drank beer. And there's still some of that that sort of rubs off on people right. today. It does. And, and actually, there's there's sort of a history to it. And, you know, you and I have talked before. I mean, you go to places like in Italy, maybe more than anywhere, Spain's another place, mm-hmm. and even in France, where they're proud of the local wine. It's, right. not, it's not about how much they know or how much they bought. It's the, it's my wine. Taste it. It's not only my wine, yeah. but my uncle drives a right. truck for him, so yep. that's the wine we buy. Right. It's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a whole different approach. So, in a way, this gets 
dates back to uh, – I mean, we're talking about life in England and um, and it starts maybe – I mean, England has always been a class-driven society. So you have to start with that. Jane Austen explained it better than anyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, so back in the early 1700s, when people were figuring out – and I'm really generalizing here, but figuring out how to make glass wine bottles and corks that could go in them and for what it's worth – all that got standardized another century later, really. But you picture England, this society with class stature that is defined right. by things like birth and money, which right. are, you know, and so— Actually, literally class. Yeah. And yep. and lauding their wealth over each other was what they did when they were— it was, considered, yeah. it was considered embarrassing to have a suntan or calluses because that implied that you, that you worked, worked outdoors. Yes. And worst of all, you worked. Yeah, heaven forbid. Yeah. Well, Rick— <laughs> Explains the calluses and the tan, right? Um, so, but to drink good wine, you needed to have the money to buy it. To buy it. And because— and the education to understand it. And part of that education was also how to talk. Right. Well, now, you've been working on your English accent, well, well, let, haven't yeah, you? Uh, yeah, I've, it's, it doesn't go very well. But, but also <laughs> un, understanding b- back then, too, wine needed to age because they didn't just didn't have the technology and the skills that we have now. Well, they're so, making different style of wine. So to, so to make wine, I mean, to drink good wine, you needed to be able to afford to buy it. Right. You needed to have the property to store it right. now that you could put the bottles down. And then you needed to be able to buy the next year and the next year right. and the next year. In essence, you had to buy this continuing supply and have room for it also a measure of wealth or class yep. was the size of a man's cellar and there were yep. there were there were manuals about what the proper gentleman would have oh yeah in well, his cellar. A, but and and they're there yes and and butlers of course played a key role in all of this because they were the keepers of the cellar keys yes, yes. well and that actually, how does your butler work with all of this right well we we've talked uh, he's getting he's <laughs> He's getting a little pretentious, and I'm, I'm telling him, remember, keep your place. Remember, well, yeah. but does he have an English accent? That's the question. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, he's, he speaks actually much much more clearly than I do. <laughs> That's why I make him answer the it's door. A low bar. I want people. To, I want people to remind us. All right. So, but well, let's take this. So you got this class thing going on with right. with wine and and money. Right. Enter. The Oxford Dons. Who's going to describe this stuff, right? And it comes from the most august of institutions that were trying to establish their own class behind closed smoky doors or whatever right. it is they did in there. That leather and pictures of foxes and hounds. Boy, you know more about it than I do. Yeah. Right? Well, it's, you know, it's... I was a, I was a fox once. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's better to be the guy on the horse than it is to be the fox, right? See, here you go. Class you go. going with the class going thing again. The aren't class you? thing again. Yeah. So yep. so our our friends, the Oxford Dons, were the ones who started off describing wines, right. and of course they wrote in the uh, the non colloquial, meaning non common language. They wrote in ways that only they could understand. And they made it sound grander and greater than anyone else would because they were, after all, Oxford Dons, and they had to say, make it sound so that the common well, folk I just, I just gave a lecture to the Cambridge Executive MBA program. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you're blaming this all on Oxford. I have a feeling that it went a little beyond Well, I'm using Oxford. Oxford as a generic term. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah But, yeah. you know, the, 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 the academics, really, right. the, the British academics. Well, really, yeah. and, but really it's the upper class. Yes. And, and the, the only role that Oxford played in all of this is they generally educated the upper class, well, the, 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 the theoretically the very best of right. the upper class. Right, and that's, and that's 
where this line leads directly in, in some ways to us. So one is the sense of value. You're going to draw a line between Oxford University and us. I'm going to – this is going to well, be good. I am. So in two, one is the sense of value that, that wine – that knowing wine, having wine made you a valuable person or a better – a higher class person. Right. Second was that the, the, the those academics that started describing wine taught the next generation how to write about wine and taught the next generation. And you imitate the people who – who you learn from partly right. because you think that's the proper way. Right. And that's – you take that line and, and it runs straight into how we still describe wine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not a straight line. It's sort of curvy. It goes pretty around curvy. mountains by the time it gets and to over us, oceans. By the time it gets to us, that's a pretty curvy line. Yeah. But but that that's the root a, – a, a giant root of it all. And um, Well, it is. The, the root of it all is the British class system. Yeah. No question about so, it. So then the second question of, of whether they're aware, I argue in some cases absolutely and they don't want to give up their authority. No, not, that's not part, everyone, of what, but, yeah. part of what makes them who they are. Yeah. They're the person who knows about wine. Yeah. And some of it is habit uh, and and unfortunately. And to retell the story from a few weeks back when we were talking about uh, when we were in the Vancouver International Wine Festival and you gave, and I hate to say it, a really good lecture. or <laughs> actually ran a seminar where people – Talked about wine in very human ways, and it was great. It really right. was. And I was talking with a guy who was on one of your panels uh, next day or two afterwards, and he was saying how much he liked that approach, and you really shouldn't be talking about all these things. And then he went to show me his wines, and he did exactly the same stuff. Talked about the same stuff he yeah, just said was co-fermented what, yeah. and a whole cluster <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. and blah, 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 blah. So some of it really is unfortunately just habit. Yep. And yep. That's why we are here. We are well, here to break the habit and to keep them from being demons from the pits of hell. Well, but then we do have a habit of Answering questions, right? So what are you, a demon from the pit of hell? <laughs> no, no. Do you bring this on these poor people? <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to give it a shot. We're going to answer some questions. Okay. And you are, of course, listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. If you'd like to ask us a question, the place is our website if you're not listening there, which is rickandpaulwine.com. And, you know, I think uh, – or you can send us a Facebook message actually and we will we will get your question on Facebook as well. Uh, so this first one comes from Elizabeth in San Francisco. Cool. She says, our store name removed so we don't get sued has a pretty big wine department. And there are also displays of wine all over the store, like in the veggie department and in front of the meats. Are they okay? Did the store pick them out or are they a big profit item or something? Great question because this yep. is actually a very clever marketing uh, strategy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the store usually doesn't pick these wines. Usually what it is is a distributor or a producer comes to the store and says, I have a special promotion. Uh, oftentimes, if you'll notice, there's not only stacks of wine, say, next to the next to the meat department, but there may be even some sort of promotional material that says great with steak or use this right. wine and here's a recipe to cook Chuck roast with right. this wine. Right. So, in fact, it's called in the biz, it's called a co-promotion or, or co-merchandise. And what it means is you take your wine out of the wine department, put it next to the meat department. You sell a lot of wine that way because the people who are in the meat department may not make it all the way to the wine department, but they'll grab that bottle. And it's just another way of getting people to look at wine in a slightly new or different light while they're in the store. And it works pretty well. The wines aren't necessarily better or worse than the wines in the regular wine section. They're just there because somebody at the winery and probably in the meat department said, oh, let's do this co-promotion and see if we can't get some additional sales and additional attention. Yeah, and often what they will be is they'll probably be 
some of the really mainstream wines in there can be. because they're often the bigger wine companies that um, that that can quote unquote support them and support yep. them means that they they can allow the price to drop a bit and the you know yep. and the company takes the hit yep. um, and but it's also this realization that of how people shop and how their lives are busy and you know for for the vast majority of people who go to the store to buy wine it's just another grocery item getting the cornflakes getting the meat getting the wine getting the veggies right. it's right. not this you know oxford dawn like or cambridge <laughs> dawn like discussion and so you one you're making it easy and two if it's a this is a, a parent with a kid right but you don't have to go in that giant canyon of glass <laughs> right. with a six-year-old. Right. You know, yes. So it, you're making right. life a whole lot easier for them. <laughs> yep. so, so that's yep. all that is. So, but so don't fear those wines, nope. but if you want to do something different, don't feel like you have to buy that wine with right. a steak. It's right. just it's just a store's offering. Yeah, and often they will be a buck or two cheaper than that uh-huh. wine might normally be. It's never going to be anything great, but it's not going to be bad. Right. All right. This is from uh, James in Vancouver, who uh, we've got a friend who's been listening now that they, we've been up there, and we're actually starting to have a few listeners up there. Only one, huh? Well, maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, one's more than, more than we had in Canada. We've got a Canadian audience now. That's all I'm saying. And his name is James. <laughs> his name is James, right. <laughs> so James says, I like medium-ish reds like Merlot or Malbec. Mm-hmm. What are the equivalent wines in terms of that style from Spain or anywhere else, too? Cool. So, so one thing is that we would generally describe those as, you know, not quite mediumish reds. Those are more on the fuller-bodied reddish side, but not huge. They're not huge. Right. So, yeah, so, so those I'm are okay. Medium. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. So, so um, I've got a couple. You've got a couple. But well, the, Spain's the good a good place to ask about that. Yeah, the good news is that in Spain, um, a lot of the wine falls into this category. Now they're making more of what they call vino de autor, which is bigger, richer, heavier. More powerful wines, but in general, a or lot wine of the bowl. Um, is that right? Is no, that that is? wine. Uh, you know, the autor means oh, uh, autor. Wine, I thought you said autor. Wine, uh, author or uh, a signature wine. No, I thought you said. Sorry, I thought yeah. you said vino al toro. Yeah, no. Um, but for example, from the northeast of Spain around Barcelona, you can get some lovely Garnacha right. wines. Or Granacha is one of our wine <laughs> yeah. magazines, our bad, horrible uh, writings for Garn- it's, a, it's a Spanish grape originally. It went to the Rhone later. Uh, fruity, fresh, lively, but some richness and intensity, very much like a good Merlot uh, in, in many ways. And then, of course, the classic red wine of Spain is Rioja. And I think it absolutely fits into that category of neither very big nor very light. It's medium-ish. Especially, especially the not ground reservas. The one's right. not been sitting in oak for a long time. It's yep. going to be a little lighter. Yep. yep. And both of those are would be really good things to play with. Yeah. And there's a couple that, that um, James, that you probably see around from other places too. In, in From Italy, Sangiovese. So, you know, Chianti uh-huh. Classicos and, and those sorts. Or Valpolicella, which is a great Really accessible wine, wonderful wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can drink that um, by the bucket. And Cabernet yep. Franc's another one. And and if you uh, if you get these, is California Barbaros in the California foothills. Delicious wines. Yeah, they're a little bit richer than the ones from Italy, but they're definitely yep. in a medium category. Yep, yep. yep. absolutely. So those Good. are a few. All right. Okay. All right, that's it for questions for now. We will have more in just a bit. Uh, coming up next is some really horrible, really horrible wine writing. <laughs>
So there's our signal that it is horrible wine running time. It's echoing throughout the halls of Canada <laughs> in James's house. <laughs> and we do have a couple of doozies today. These are both from the same. This is a group of critics who want a website and a marketing service. They're well-intentioned. I, I, I ran across them for, from something else, and so I looked at the website and started reading the descriptions of wines. Oh, dear God, Paul, I'm just the telling you. The road to hell is that, paved with good intentions, that's, right? That's where the demons live. That's where the demons that, live. Yeah, that's right. So uh, here's – why don't you read yours? Yellow straw color, confected, baked aromas of apple streusel, walnut confection, baked pear with brown sugar glaze, and lemon bar with a round, vibrant, dry yet fruity medium body and a warming, complex, long-toasted, chopped pecan and smoked <laughs> vanilla bean finish with well-integrated coating, tannins, and heavy oak. <sighs> they had a sale on adjectives, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, and confected twice. You yeah, know? yeah. Confected right off the bat. I love that. The warming complex, long toasted, choppy can and smoked vanilla bean finish. <gasps> yeah. Dear Lordy. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Mine's just as bad. So this was. Uh, okay, what do you have? This is. Let me, let me pull this up so I can read it. Yeah. A bright, deep purple color. Okay, that's the, that's the clearest sentence. Not necessary, <laughs> but there it is. Um, exotic aromas of rose water, ivory, what does ivory smell like, right? I, 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 that one stopped me. I, Did they mean ivory soap? Maybe. <laughs> maybe ivory. Maybe they meant elephant. <laughs> I don't want this one. I'm, I'm going to use elephant. <laughs> Exotic aromas of rose water, elephant, and black olives, black violet, and overripe strawberries, <laughs> and roasted marzipan with a lightly tannic, dryish, medium to full body, and a warming complex, medium long Mexican mole, silk cassis, plum fruit leather, and hint of green pepper finish with crunchy tannins and a suggestion of oak. Dark and mysterious. Well, boy, dark and mysterious, that's for sure. That's a 16-word noun clause there, Paul. Hey, um, Rick, what does uh, silt What does silt taste like? Um, elephant. And Mexican mole is very funny because, of course, mole in Mexico means basically almost any kind of sauce. It doesn't even have to have—it can be made with chilies. It can, mole quite literally means the tool you use to grind things up to make a mash. So guacamole is actually mashed aguacates. Well, I'll, I'll give them the so mole. Mexican we, mole we, but we tend to know what we think. I'm getting chicken mole. We know what the direction, but but the medium-long Mexican mole silicosis, plum fruit, leather, and hint of green pepper finish with crunchy tannins. And a suggestion and of oak. Dear Lord. Yeah, silt. Yeah. Silt. Yeah, yeah. Ivory and silt. Did they uh, mean silk? Uh, black, violet, and, and what it was, you know. Ivory. So uh. I can only guess, but I know there's a group that puts this together. Maybe everybody throws in anything they can think of. Everybody, everybody gets three words. Yes. Um, no, I think everyone gets 13 words. <laughs> I just want to say this is, this is, this is, a, uh, th that was a, one of the most dazzling collection of <laughs> wine descriptions I had ever seen. That's enough to make anybody turn off your computer. Oh, though. Lord. Oh, wow. Lord. Lord. All right, even even worse than us. So, <laughs> since we're not as bad as that, we can go back to answering a we couple can more keep questions. Going. Right. That's right. So this is a question that was brought to us. Uh, it's actually our steadfast producer, Matt Bassini. Cool. And he was uh, he had texted me, and this is an, and it was an interesting discussion. So I kept <laughs> say why you should not ever text me, Matt, because I'm going to keep it and use it. Um, so <laughs> someone told him they can't drink wines from a wine region that uh, a name removed, so we won't get sued because they spray the wines with sulfur, and that person gets headaches. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, so, so what was the question? So the, the question is, is, is that possible? And or, or are there regions in the world where they use less sulfur? And the answer is not really. Yeah. And nobody sprays sulfur. Nobody sprays sulfur. They do spray sulfur on the vines during the springtime to keep them from getting mildew. But that sulfur early, gets washed away in, the, in yeah. the air, air, when sulfur interacts with air, it, it disappears. Right. Um, and for all the people who think they may have a... A, an allergy to sulfites of some kind, which is what the little label on the bottle says. If you eat in a salad bar and you don't have problems, nothing that happens in a bottle of wine is going to bother or you. Or if you have peanut butter or dried fruit or breakfast dried cereal fruit. with a raisin right. in it or right. any of those things. But not only that, and this is the other part of it, is that, that uh, somebody – and it's – I mean, the numbers are depending on how they rate it in terms of intensity between one person in 100 and one person in 200 who might have a sulfate allergy or, or, or an allergy to a little bit or sensitivity to it. It's, it's, a, it's a respiratory. Right. So it makes your right. nose run. Doesn't it give makes you a headache. You, it makes you get you a bit of a cough. Clogs you up. Right. Um, <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So um, it, and it's. You know, it's sort of unfortunate because that's everybody's answer when somebody's not feeling well. Well, must be the sulfites. Must be the sulfites. And you know, when you go to Europe, those wines don't have sulfites because you can look right on the label yes. and it doesn't say anything about it. And of course, the Europeans understand what sulfites are, and they see no point in putting sulfite well, labeling on wine when they don't put it on dried fruit or salad bars or any of the other things. And we've in America, talked about. for complicated reasons involving salad bars, they actually do have to put it on the label. <clears throat> yep. They just have to. And so um, yep. it doesn't mean that it's not there. So it's it's unfortunate this, for, the, for, for this poor person because that, that person should not be afraid to drink wine. And, that and if you are getting a headache from wine, it's much more likely that it's either histamines or alcohol. Yeah. That's, that's the, the headache. Yeah, that's the, uh, our little bit of advice, a reminder that uh, the uh, hangover is almost always dehydration. And and the, if it gives you a headache, I I can feel your pain because Rick gives me a headache quite regularly. That's why he drinks water during the show. <laughs> yep. Don't want to don't want to exacerbate the yeah, problem. I, understandable. All right, <laughs> this one is from Suzanne in Reno. Uh, she, Suzanne says a wine sommelier at a restaurant told us cheap wine is like cheap food and it's full of tricks. Cheap tricks would have been a band. Uh, it's full of tricks, so it'll <laughs> taste good. Is that true? And if it tastes good, why do I care Boy, how it was first made? Of all, first of all, that is a great analysis there, Suzanne. Yes. If it tastes good, why should I care? And yes. frankly, you know, that's a pretty good answer to that question. Exactly right. However, um, the point I would make is that small wineries very often have access to only one lot of grapes from one vineyard. And however that vineyard turns out, they can farm it with great care and all the rest. But if, in fact, they have a tough year... Uh, whether it because of frost or hail or, as we saw recently last year, some, some smoke damage, they really can't do much about that because they're a small winery and those are the only grapes they have. Right. Large wineries tend to buy grapes from all over the place. And while the wines may not have that unique, distinctive character that some people claim f comes from one region or another, at the same time, they've got a vineyard that didn't get quite so ripe, and they've got another vineyard that got a little riper than that. And by the time they blend all of these vineyards together, a lot of big wineries make wines not so much by using clever chemistry and black boxes and dangerous stuff. They simply blend the different source material they get to get the kind of wines they want. 
And that's not a an unusual tactic because it's exactly the way the greatest champagnes are made. It's exactly the way the great vintage ports are made, blended grapes from all over to get exactly the character you want. They just do it at a lower price point. Right. And even the quote unquote most nefarious tactics really is they're nothing. It's not like they're they're putting, you know, I don't know, insecticide in you there or something. All nothing. they're doing, it, it could be that they could be reducing an alcohol level, which could Maybe. be done a handful of ways, not the least Maybe. of which is putting water into it. Right. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's so it, it's not, there's a handful of things, but none of them are particularly nefarious in any way. It's just. So I would be wary of like sommelier cooking. who says, I've got a bunch of wines on my list and don't buy the cheap ones because they're probably. They've probably been doctored up by the expensive ones. And I'm thinking two things. Why do you have wines on your list that you don't recommend? And second of all, do you always try to talk people into buying the most expensive wines well, on your list? Well, that could be that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's, but yeah. there, there is that, – that is also a streak in the uh, – the, from those friend, – our friends, the demons of hell – that right. will only drink a kind of wine based on how it's made, not what it actually tastes like what or it anything tastes else. Like. That's right. Yep. Yep. So, uh, just, yep. yeah, go to a different restaurant would be my, my suggestion. <laughs> All right. Well, we know that you have your choice of uh, podcasts to listen to, and you've listened to another episode of Around with Bottle Talk of Rick and Paul, so we thank you for that one. Yes, we do. Our producer is Matt Bassini. Thank you, Matt. Our associate producer is Jerry, Jeremy Marin. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on their podcast Recommended lineup. podcast Re- lineup. Absolutely. And you go ask us a question at rickandpaulwine.com. If you learned anything today... It's this. If you act like a wine snob, you're what, Paul? A demon from the pits of hell. Don't be a demon from hell. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines are the wines you drink with us. No, they're the wines you drink with friends, too. Well, or with us. And with us, especially with us. Mm-hmm.